earth there's a few bad judges. There's one good judge. There's one good judge. Now, that uh, word for under the sun uh, shows up as a theme constantly. Almost 30 times, 29 times we see it over and over and over. And this is the great hope of Ecclesiastes, that all this depressing stuff we're talking about is simply on earth. It's not the kingdom of God. That, 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 is, that is our hope, that this is a kingdom that you and I will only be in temporarily. It is life on earth. Now, he says, under the sun there's evil. There's evil. This is the reason why we have injustice, right? There's sin in the world. It's broken. The enemy has deceived people. We, we have um, people who lie to each other and steal from each other and murder each other and hurt each other because there's evil in the world. And some of us, um, we struggle with injustice for a lot of reasons, but one is we just can't fathom that people are truly evil. And yet the Bible makes it clear over and over and over that we're wicked. In and of ourselves, um, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we don't believe that what people would say or do is really their action, but the Bible makes it clear that these are the wellspring of, of life is the heart, right? So their hearts are evil. It's like the the murderer or uh, the serial killer who um, is now on the news, right? And then there's uh, interviews of all of the relatives and the family members and the neighbors, and what do they generally say? Something along the lines of, well, he was just a nice guy or a nice gal. He was quiet didn't bother anyone they, they, they seem to be fine and they're just can't believe that that person even though they acted nice when they saw them was evil and solomon's saying there's evil in the world if, if, if you don't understand that part then injustice will always be something you can't fathom but injustice comes because there's sin and, and evil in the world so then he says that there's evil in the courtroom. Yes, even the courts of law are corrupt. So let's talk about a few bad judges here from that verse. Because verse 16 is a kingdom, the kingdom of earth. Verse 17, thankfully, is a whole different kingdom, a kingdom where God judges. But we need to talk about the bad judges here on earth. The first one is the court of law. The court of law. There's laws and there's a judge, right? There's lots of judges in courtrooms, how many of y'all have ever had a bad experience with court? In general, if you go to court, it's a bad experience, right? Where, where you know, I want to trust that all judges on earth are good, but there's some that just aren't that good. There's some that might even be corrupt. That not every judge in that position with that authority, with that experience, is going to be making the right calls. Sometimes, if you've been hurt by the court of law, if you've had a family member taken away or a child taken away or you feel like there was an injustice, sometimes the consequence is the greater injustice than even the crime. There's a lot of families out there who have had um, bad things happen to them, but what makes them the saddest is the fact that the true consequences for that crime were never dealt with. They weren't given out. The person got away. For some people, that's what hurts the most. I... Uh, was watching with Tara the other day, this story about bodyguards. It was uh, some Netflix documentary. We watched probably too many documentaries, but um, they intrigued me. And this whole thing was about different bodyguards all over the country, some for celebrities, some for all kinds of stuff. And one of them was a bodyguard for the mafia in New Jersey. And this was uh, a guy who they were interviewing, and he was telling them about um, his mob boss, who he was the bodyguard for, and, and the murders 
And they were showing this house where he said, okay, so that house, um, there was a gal who walked in and she didn't know, but we were going to murder her that day and we did. And he talks about where they buried the body downstairs. And he says, well, then another time, another guy came in and we weren't planning on murdering him, but my boss wanted to at the, when he got in there and it just happened. And so we dug up in the basement um, where the gal was buried and buried him too. And we're, we're, Tara and I are kind of watching this thinking, okay, this old boy doesn't look like he's in a jumpsuit. <laughs> well, how are they, how is he not in prison? Like, surely he's in prison. This is just, you know, something. And long story short, he goes on to explain all these murders, all this junk in detail, horrible stuff that caused families incredible grief. And he says, I was prepared to go to life, life in prison. But he had like four and a half years he served. And that was it because he ratted on his mob boss and told all the details of all the other crimes. And he was ultimately the one they wanted to catch. He was blown away that the judge didn't sentence him to life in prison. People have gone and done a whole lot less and got more than four and a half years in prison than multiple murders. Sometimes we just don't get it right on earth, do we? And this is the hope of the world. Ultimately, that justice would take place at the, whether it be the court in this county or city or it's the Supreme Court, that judges will be able to make the right decision. And if our hope is in that, we've got to understand even these men are broken. And they're going to make mistakes. And then there's the court of public opinion. Solomon says the whole courtroom, the whole situation is broken. Now, exactly what the courtroom looked like for Solomon back there, it's hard telling. But for us, we know we have juries, right? We have other people, people who aren't the judge sitting there and people who aren't us, but everyone else. You ever had someone not... <laughs> in uh, an authority position over you making judgment calls on your life where they just got it wrong and he said you know what you don't know the you don't know all the facts and but they think they do right and, and so they make a judgment call about your life and who you are and you just say you know what it, you just you're just wrong you're just wrong i remember when i got in trouble in high school right and I, I had been kicked out of school for the rest of my senior year. It was February. And so February, March, April, May, I was done. I was for a whole year, they said. Even when I, even post-school, though, you can't even come back on property for eight months after you were to graduate. And so I had the whole court system with, um, with the county, right, the legal system. But then I had like this mock trial with my um, teachers at school to, to find out if they were going to let me graduate. Because at first they said I couldn't. And so they set up this room, and it was so awkward because these were teachers who I grew up with. We're in a tiny town together. This is like my old football coach, right? My old math teacher, my old band teacher. These are people that I, I loved, and they cared for me, and we knew each other literally my whole life. And I'm sitting there telling them this story as we're walking through this kind of mock trial thing, and they're talking beneath some, or between themselves, and, and then, you know, I'm giving my side, and the other person's giving their side, and we're going back and forth. And at the end, I was thinking, you know, these people, they, they know me, they love me. They're going to they're gonna probably say, yeah, go, go back to school. Because at first it was just a 10-day suspension, then it turned into a year. And they said, Ryan, we're going to kick you out for a year because we have to make an example out of you. And I just remember smirking and thinking, ah, don't. Don't be like that. Small school big crime, but you got to make the example out of them. And I remember thinking, I love them, but they're broken. 
They're broken. It happens. And there's a third one. Quarter one, that'd be you and me. We hear all this, and we hear about injustices, and we are going to read Solomon's words tonight, and we think, yeah, there's injustice all over the world. There's oppression everywhere, right? And the judges don't get it right. Yeah, man, the courts, they, they mess up all the time, right? You can't trust them. And then, and then even the juries, they get things wrong, and our family and friends sometimes get things wrong. But me, I know what's right. And in our self-righteousness, we have indignation that says, yeah, I know what's right. The laws are broken, but if I was in a position of authority, I would be able to right these wrongs. How many people sit around the family table and talk about injustices and then have that self-righteousness of, yeah, we would do this different. I can't believe they did it that way. But you've got to understand, even good judges make bad verdicts when they don't have all the facts. Right? We all think that we would be able to do this right. As a dad, I'm a mediator for a three-year-old boy in every uh, little trial that he has. Right? You know what it's like when you have a little kid come up to you and they say, they hit me, they hit me. And being the parent, you immediately want to just protect your kid and say, okay, let me take care of you. That other kid's going to be in trouble. But you learn real quick the sinful nature of your little one. And I found out real quick, and Tara would probably know better than I, and she's with them all day long, that there's always two sides to the story. And a lot of times the one who commits the greatest crime when they're only three or four will often, because they know they have no credibility, will go and tell of their crime and admit it first in hopes that you trust them and and blame the other kid, that you won't actually do your due diligence. More times than not, if I go in there and ask the other kid, okay, hey, um, did uh, did you hit Silas? Well, yeah. I said, well, what, what happened? Well, Silas jumped off the, the toy box and tackled me and then put this one thing in my mouth and then pushed me over here. And like all this crazy stuff. And I'll look at Silas like, did that happen? And he'll put his head down. Well, yeah, but they did. Sh- zip it. I love you. But there's obviously two sides to this story. You see, even as a dad, like I can't get it right all the time. None of us are good judges. But thank God for verse 17. Thank God for verse 17 that in due season, God will judge everyone, both good and bad, for all their deeds. Now, Solomon's not a prophet, and this is a thousand years before Jesus, but we know because of the rest of the Bible, there's going to be a judgment day. There's going to be a judgment day where God's going to judge us. You see, in order for there to be true, real, accurate, perfect justice, there's got to be a perfect judge. There's some qualifications for that judge. I know there's a lot of bad judges, but the one good judge has to know everything. You've got to know all the facts. In this world, there's a lot of evidence that's lost, isn't there? A lot of things have been thrown in rivers and lakes, right? But God knows everything that's happened. You say, well, the, the, the judge who's going to ultimately judge everything in order to trust them, they got to know everyone. How many of us know the hearts and the intent and the motives of the people around us? Now, this is why jurors sit for hours and hours and hours and say, what was going on in their heart? And did they really mean it that way? Or what did they? And God's saying, I know every heart, every motive. I know everything about them. They got to be able to judge everything and everyone, right? Because they're everywhere. And they got to be perfect, Now, this would rule out, let's see here, everyone but God. So only God gets to be this judge. That's good news for you and I. That's incredible news. 
You say, well, what do we do with it then? I think Micah 6, 8 is a pretty powerful verse in this case. It says that we should seek justice. We should love mercy. We should also walk humbly with our God. It's good. Let me just, it's good to seek justice on earth. But you've got to ultimately know that all justice on earth will be temporary. And you can't find your hope in it. You can't find your hope in it. Ultimately, you've got to live in light of the final judgment. And this is where it changes. And this is what I hope that we get. For those of us who are bitter and unforgiving and angry towards some of the things that have made life not very fair for us lately, is we've got to understand that if you live in light of the final judgment, then you're going to stop focusing so much on all the sin and things that people have done to you and realize this is how I have treated God. And i got to stop being a hypocrite and wanting justice for the things that have been done to me, but mercy for the things I've done for others. And i got to realize, if God, knowing that I have sinned against him, has freely given grace and mercy, then I need to be pouring that out to all those around me, because ultimately there's one judge on a final judgment day, and we're going to stand before him. And that makes you live differently on earth. It also makes you sympathize with the other judges here on earth around you. They're not perfect, but neither are we. We don't have it all together. This is fun, isn't it? I can tell you guys, you get so excited about Ecclesiastes. I do as well. Uh, It is a brutally honest book. Verses 18 through 22. He says, I also thought about the human condition. You ever just you ever just ponder sin and brokenness, the human condition. How God proves to people that they are like animals. Okay, now I, I make jokes about this being depressing. This isn't a joke. It's going to get real depressing for us. So if you're ready to hit a little bit of a low um, and don't maybe even question uh, Solomon's theology, we're about to get to it. For people and animals share the same fate. Both breathe and both must die. So people have no real advantage over animals. How meaningless. Remember the word meaningless, vanity, fleeting, like a mist. Almost 40 times mentioned all throughout these 12 chapters. You see, both go to the same place. They came from dust and they returned to dust. Okay, Genesis tells us that, right? And you can see that. But who can prove that the human spirit goes up and the spirit of animals goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. This is our lot in life. And no one can bring us back to see what happens after we die. This is encouraging. A lot of big questions. But ultimately, Jesus is the answer to these big questions. Good questions, hard questions. Solomon's frustrated. I don't know if you've ever been this frustrated. You look at life, you ponder it, you think to yourself, okay, life isn't fair, there's not much true justice on earth, and even when there is, it's not ultimately going to be the eternal justice that God's going to give on Judgment Day. So you can't put too much hope into it. And you've got to realize, sometimes the bad guys win on earth, and sometimes God allows it, and that doesn't feel very good. But ultimately, again, he's going to judge everything. He won't miss anything, he'll do everything. 
And life isn't very fair sometimes, so what's the point? That's what, that's what he's saying. What's the point? It's like we're no different than animals, right? You see animals and the way they react and respond to each other, and then you see humans without much justice on earth. It's the same thing. It just isn't fair. Isn't it interesting that when you're a kid, you say, um, you say things like, that's not fair. Someone steals something from you, you say, that's not fair. You hear that all the time. Silas, he says that on occasion. That's not fair. But as you grow up and you become an adult, you don't say that's not fair very often. You don't know what we transition it to? Say life's not fair. Life's not fair. Like when you're a kid and, and you're just looking through these lens about the things in front of you and you think, okay, that's not fair. Like specifically, these things could maybe change, right? And it's one thing at a time, one thing at a time. But then as you become conditioned, right, and you grow up in life and you become an adult, you just kind of generalize everything and all the injustices you've ever experienced and the things you see on TV and the things in front of your face. And you just say, life's not fair. Someone stole your car, life's not fair. Having a bad day, life's not fair. You got cancer, oh, life's not fair. Oh, someone broke your heart, life's not fair. Like we just throw it on everything. And for many of us, like Solomon, we come to the place where we think to ourselves, man, life is just like a wood chipper and we're all just a bunch of logs. (laughs) Doesn't it just feel that way? And Solomon's like, it feels that way to me. Feels that way to me. So what do we do? So as a society, we say, well, let's get some courts and let's get some judges and let's get police and let's get rules and let's get laws and let's set things up. And then what? You still have half the people, and it used to be a minority, but in our country it's growing, uh, who say, we don't like the police, we don't like the laws, we don't like the system, we hate the man, let's break it down. But without it, we have anarchy and chaos, and you can't win with it, but you can't live without it. And what Solomon's ultimately saying here is that on earth, what I found is that there's not much justice, but without revelation from God in how to react to each other and live with each other and love each other, ultimately, humans are just about like animals. You ever seen animals in the way that they deal with each other and thought, that's just brutal? ever just be flipping through the channels and you watch like BBC or Animal Planet or Planet Earth or one of the Discovery Channel and you just see like this story that starts so beautiful. It's like, oh, there's a cheetah. Oh, little baby cheetah cubs. Oh, it's so cute. That's how they paint the picture at the beginning. It's like it's springtime in the Serengeti and now there's all this, you know, the little cheetah pup things and the cheetah mom. And you're like, oh, that's so beautiful. And they're just drinking milk and everything's great. And then it goes to, okay, now the mom is becoming very malnourished and, and it's, um, the, the, this, the rains are gone and she's going to have to go great distances with those little pups behind her to find some food. And so you're like, oh, okay, sounds like a journey. Let's go. And so they start going. And then before you know it, they're like, oh, after several failed attempts at at trying to eat these deer and catch these animals and chew these things because you need nourishment, right? Then then all of a sudden, boom, they finally got it. This cheetah gets it. You're like, yay, win for the cheetah. And then the cheetah's just like panting like crazy. And you're like, oh, that's a mean looking cheetah. And then all of a sudden, what? The hyenas come, right? The hyenas come and they steal that food from the cheetah. And you're like, this is depressing. And then they go on and then you see this story and one of the cheetah cubs dies and you're like oh my this is horrible and then it just goes on and on and on you're like this is just brutal you see when you see animals and the way that they treat each other they stalk each other they look for each other and wait for each other to make mistakes they have no forgiveness they have no mercy on each other they just devour each other and it's ruthless and one kills another so that another can kill it so that another can kill it so they just die 
You say, that's depressing. And Solomon's saying, ultimately, without revelation from God, that's how humans exist with each other. Some of us treat each other that way. So, he's got some big questions that you and I have probably had. Who can prove that the human spirit goes up and that the spirit of animals, well, it's just going to go down to the dust, right? And he's not questioning, this isn't a theological issue for him as much as he's just saying, listen, all we can see is what's in front of us. We're all mortal. How do we know about the afterlife and the things that are happening that we can't see? So how do we know that our, our whole existence is got meaning in it? How do we know? Wouldn't it be nice if someone could, who, who has been dead can come back and tell us about the truths of the afterlife? I know this is a thousand years before Jesus came to earth, but he's the answer to these questions, is he not? Is he not? I mean, like, this is, this is the hope. Okay, it's been depressing uh, up until now, but let's get excited because this is the great hope that, that we don't have to sit there and say, yep, I'm just like Solomon. I have no proof of any of this stuff, and maybe this whole thing is just, but Jesus comes and he affirms what all those before him said, the prophets and everything that God had given revelation to mankind, and he shows us how to love each other, and he shows us how to forgive each other and how to respond to each other. We don't have to be like animals. He's, he's just, and he's perfect, and he says, here, I'm going to help you guys to be, and, loving and kind and forgiving towards one another. And he teaches us and tells us there's meaning to life. And he talks about heaven and hell more than anyone else in the Bible. He says there is an afterlife and there is a judgment day and this will happen. And we see this great big picture of how there is a lot that goes on after death. And he's saying this is real. And he's saying there is not only (laughs) injustice on earth, but I'm going to give you the greatest (laughs) life isn't fair quote. And that's the fact that mankind deserves to be killed for our sin. We deserve to die. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might have righteousness. We think to ourselves, man, people aren't fair to us. Life isn't fair. And yet this is where the gospel changes everything because God's saying, you see yourself in light of what God has done for you. And you say, that's not fair that Jesus would die for me. He doesn't deserve my death. And God, because he's just, says, someone's got to die for it. I'm sending my son. And all of a sudden, a whole group of people, instead of walking through our days saying, life isn't fair, life isn't fair, we say, it's not fair. It's not fair. Thank God. It's not fair. And we don't just have to take his word for it on earth, but he goes down into the grave and he comes back and he tells us, I got purpose for you. I got a mission for you. And I can tell you, I've been up there and I'm setting the captives free from down there. And I can affirm this whole afterlife stuff. And it changes everything. The next time you find yourself frustrated with the sin of others against you, and you say, how could this be on earth? You just remember, this is the way that we treated God. And God says, the cross wins. And even though you might be on earth in a kingdom which rules are ruthless, God says, you don't have to live by the rules of this kingdom. This is the good news of Jesus. He says, the kingdom of God is near. 
The kingdom of God is near. And if you find your faith in Jesus tonight, you get to say, we're going to bring some heaven on earth. When I decide, even though I could do this to you and I could be unforgiving to you and I could hold this against you, I'm going to live by a different set of rules because I am changed by the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God. You're going to have to go against the grain. But doesn't the Spirit of God and the grace of God compel you? Before we move on to the last part, I just want to encourage you, if you find yourself walking day in and day out, living like an animal, waiting for your coworkers and your family members and your friends to make mistakes so that ultimately you can hold it against them and go from one hurt to a new relationship and tell them about the hurts from the past relationship and then develop hurts in that relationship and then you keep going on and the cycle is that you're toxic because you can't forgive, you can't heal, you can't give grace, you haven't received mercy, you don't know how to give it because you haven't received it. And Solomon's saying you're like the animals. Your form of justice, it ain't It ain't good. See, direct justice is when you and I see, hey, there's a jail sentence, there's an eye for an eye, there's something that feels like that's real justice and you really had a consequence. Indirect justice is when you and I have uh, no way of having someone else to pay a penalty for something, so we have unforgiveness and bitterness and anger and we walk with that, we hold that over their head thinking somehow we're going to give you the jail time you deserve, but emotionally, I'm the one being held hostage. And some of us walk around toxic, Scrape the cheese off the burger. Scrape the cheese off and realize there's a kingdom bigger than this one that's worth investing in, and it plays by different rules. You don't have to chase after every injustice and try to be God. Last but not least, jumping into chapter 4. And I wish this ended on like a super high note. Unfortunately, I can't control Solomon and uh, what he wrote here. But we see beauty in all of it. Again, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. Keep in mind, this is the one who ruled over everything, and yet he sees some are just helpless in the courts of law. The prophets all throughout the Old Testament hammered the Israelites for those who were poor and needy and foreigners and strangers, and when they, didn't, when they were oppressed, there's a big themes of taking care of the oppressed all throughout the Old Testament. Solomon sees it. So I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. <laughs> Told you this wasn't ending on like a super high note. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. You wonder why I didn't just go until there was like a happy spot. Like he just, he switches topics and I can't just go. Like this, is, this, is, this was his conclusion. Last thing we see tonight. So you got to make the most of living under the sun. Have you seen the oppression that he saw? Of course, he was in a place of power. Most of us, we don't get a glimpse at the kingdom the way he 
he did. Um, but if you're uh, a doctor or a nurse or an EMT or a paramedic or a firefighter or a policeman or a politician or a social worker or you fill in the blank, you've seen tears and you've seen people in this country who are living in ways that break our hearts. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's people in your life. Maybe in your family. And your heart's crying out for them because you don't want them to live that way. You know there's better than this. Some of their circumstances, you just know they're probably not changing anytime soon. If you've been on a mission trip overseas, you've probably seen uh, tears of the oppressed in ways that even most in our country can't fathom. If you've seen the news, you know that it exists. If you've studied history, you know the atrocities. If we just listed off the ones from the last hundred years, it'd make us all sick. The world is an oppressed place with injustice everywhere. Solomon says, I saw it and it broke my heart. Remember, he has more authority, wisdom, and power to change those things than anyone in this room. And yet he's saying, I could ultimately, I could just cry for him. I couldn't change anything on a large scale. So ultimately his conclusion is this, the only thing worse than life on earth is life on earth forever. I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate are those who hadn't been born yet. Let's be honest, if you have ever thought about having children of your own, you have probably had the thought, should we bring them into this world? Like, do, what, what does even this country look like in 25, 50 years? Like, that thought crosses our minds, doesn't it? So, as we move towards the end tonight, there's, I think, two important questions that we've got to ask ourselves uh, from those verses and from all of this as a whole. Is number one, Knowing all throughout Scripture we're called to take care of the poor, the oppressed. Understand there's poor in spirit, there's poor emotionally, there's poverty in finances and poverty in a whole bunch of other ways. There's oppression, people who are under the power and the foot of someone else and it's being abused. You've got to ask yourself, how can I help the oppressed? How can I help the oppressed? Look at your life right now. Who do you know that's going through some pain? Who do you know that is broken? Who do you know that if you left here tonight and you called them, it could change their week, their month, their year, their life? Maybe it would just change their day. Who can you bless? You might not be able to change their circumstance, but you remember a man named Job, right? And he has an important message for all Christians. Because if you're like me, when you sit with someone who's oppressed, someone who's lost um, a lot in life, and they feel like life isn't fair, you want to what? You want to give them answers. We all want to give people answers. And Job had a few Bible study partners who tried to give him a bunch of answers. And how well did that go for them? No. It didn't go. But ultimately, he just needed to hear the voice of God, and he needed the presence of loved ones, and ultimately the presence of God. One of the greatest ministries you will ever partake in is the ministry of presence. That with the Holy Spirit indwelling in you as a believer, 
Sometimes without giving them all the answers, just being with them, just loving them, just hurting with them, just representing and being an ambassador of Christ with them in that moment is huge. I'm not saying you don't share the gospel, you don't speak truth. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying for the moment, recognize the power of the ministry of presence. Because ultimately, they need God's presence. Sometimes your presence can be a conduit for that. Number two, how in the world do I cope with injustice? Well, we keep talking about this in relation to other people, but some of us are in hard circumstances, and we realize uh, life is hard, and the reality is uh, this whole um, under-the-sun thing, well, let's just just take that literal for a second, even though he's talking about being on earth. It, it's going to be hot, right? It's hot. Well, today ain't too bad, but this weekend is going to get hot. It's going to feel like summer. How many of you got to get out and do yard work, right? You got to work outside for a living. You're going to be outside, and you think about this each summer when it comes around. You think, ah, and this is a bigger deal for me because I got a bald head, and so I I burn easy. You think, how am I going to deal with the heat? How am I going to deal with the summer sun? Because it's going to be relentless, and it's going to be scorching. What do people do? What's the best thing to do when you're under the sun? Drink water. Wear, wear something on your head. Say, I'm going to be out there, but I'm going I'm to put some, some uh, sunscreen on. I'm going to put a hat on. I'm going to try to do it that way. Take breaks. Some say, let's, let's get under the shade for a little bit. Let's be under a tree. Some of you just say, well, don't go outside. I'll just stay inside. Well, sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you've got to get outside. Some would say, well, I'll just move. I'll just move to a place where maybe it's not so hot. Some would say, I'm just going to embrace it. I'm going to enjoy it. We're going to throw some sun tanning lotion on. I'm going to get tan. We're going to have fun. What's the, what's the right answer? When you're under the sun, what makes the sun less sunny, less hot, less miserable? Well, I don't know. I don't know. Welcome to reality and life on earth. But here's what I'll tell you. Years ago when I started a lawn care business and I realized, hey, a lot of people don't want to mow their own lawns because it's hot and it's stinky and it's sweaty. And so I realized I could do this and I could make some money this way. And when I first started, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to get up at like six in the morning. Then I realized people don't want the lawnmower going at six in the morning and there's dew on the grass and that doesn't work well for your blades. So I thought, well, I'll just go at night. And then I realized I can't have a social life if I'm working until sundown. And then I came to this conclusion. It's going to be hard, but the season isn't terribly long. I'm going to go and make the biggest impact I can as fast as I can. And so I would load up on water. I'd get my straw hat. I would hit it hard in the morning, and I would go, 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 go. And when I was done, I was done, but I could rest. And I think big picture-wise, there's something to be said for that. Life is short. And we live in a world full of oppression and injustice. And there's no way to truly escape it. You can hide in a hole. You can try to embrace it. You can try to fix it. But God's saying, there's another kingdom that I want to spread amongst this kingdom. And you can invest in it. And you can take it serious. And you can live out that kingdom with Jesus as our king. And one day when he comes and his promises are true, he will come back and he will judge. And he will show us what it looks like to live under his rule and reign on earth. Not just spiritually, but in full, 100% tangible ways. 
He says, you can experience spiritually what I'm going to do physically one day when I come back. You can spread this kingdom here. Because here's the deal. I know some of you, that's still not good enough. And you say, huh, it's just going to be hot outside, so I'm just going to get out and do it, right? I don't want to, that's not good enough. Listen, again, you can't necessarily change always your circumstances. But I had a young man ask me the other day, I started telling him about going to jail. I started telling him about felonies and started telling him about anxiety stuff. He said, I didn't know this about you, Ryan. I have not heard any of my sermons. I talk about this probably too much. And I said, well, let me think about it. He asked me this question. He said, how did you get past all the, the anxiety? And I, I chuckled because as, as many of you know, when I was a young pup, and I had a little bit of a traumatic experience and it kind of messed up my mind. And I had this anxiety disorder that uh, no one knew what to do with. And I couldn't play sports and I couldn't ride a school bus. And I had a hard time just waking up each day and I'd pump my body full of pills. There were days I'd take 20, 25 pills and I was a poster child for all kinds of antidepressants, all the Paxils, all the Xanax, all the stuff. You say, well, they certainly tested them out on monkeys. No, they tested them out on Ryan Booth in the late 1990s. That's how they knew whether it would be good or not. I was a poster child for just throwing pills at me, just trying to fix my mind. And I didn't know why I was so scared of life, but I was scared about being around people and being embarrassed in front of people. So I'm a preacher now, right? And, and, and I remember when I went to the Mayo Clinic after high school, and I thought, this is my last shot. This is it. I was interested in God and learning about God and all that. I was going to church, but I went up to the Mayo Clinic, and we went for three weeks, cognitive behavioral therapy, and they're going to retrain my brain. The best doctors in the world, they're going to just send a team. Are gonna, they're going to invest in me for three weeks, and we did, and we tried all kinds of exercises, and, and they had me do this, and they had me do that, and they had me all kinds of stuff. And I left, and I came home, and I was thankful, and people were like, how'd it go? How was it great? And I I said, it was good, it was good, it was good. But I was devastated inside because I was still taking some medicine. And I knew I just left my one and only hope. The best place in America for this kind of doctor, this medical attention, and, and like I'm not fixed. And the injustice, the life's not fair feeling that I had for 15 years prior to that, now I realize I got no other options. You say, so, so what changed for you, right? You placed your faith in Jesus. Yeah, of course, that changed everything. But guess what? That life's not fair, that why do I have this anxiety? It didn't just heal overnight. You want to know a little secret? It's still there. This old boy asked me, how did you, how did you get healed? I prayed like crazy. I invested in the kingdom of God. I did all these things, and yet I still woke up with all the biblical teaching, and I realized it's still not fair. Like, why do I have this? You want to know the game changer for me? And this was just a break in my spirit where I remember pondering, doing some things in faith for God. I was going down to a juvenile detention center. I was going to share the gospel with them. I was maybe a believer for about a year. And I remember thinking, I'm scared. I don't want to go. I'm going to have to load up on medicine. I'm, I'm anxious. I don't want to go back to jail. That was just kind of weird. It's like people were scared of hospitals, right? And, and I, I remember thinking this to myself. If I go there and I have the worst experience, the most traumatic experience ever, whatever I'm fearing the most, I'm going to go out with guns a-blazing for the kingdom of God. And in my mind, what clicked was I'm going to focus more on God and his will, and his path, and his truth, and just him, that I'm going to focus on my drama, and my injustice, and my life's not fair. And I don't know about you, 
But for me, I've realized I can't change myself. I can't change my circumstance. But he can, and most of all, I'm going to focus on him. I can change my focus. I can change my focus. You need to know there are people all over the world screaming life's not fair, and if you heard their stories, you'd be blown away. And yet they have the joy of Jesus. How? Because it's not about where you are, and sometimes even what you do, but who you're with. The presence of God changes everything. Let's pray.